You know how the Jews like uh, to speak and think in pictures, right? Jesus constantly asked questions and he would not ever answer their statements. Uh, Rabbi, to what, to what can we compare the kingdom of heaven? Which is a Jewish way of saying, what's kingdom heaven like? And Jesus would say, there was a woman who took uh, leaven and worked it into three measures of flour. I mean, it's like he gives this picture. He doesn't ever just define it. So um, this man came to the house of a rabbi late one night and said, Rabbi, I have committed Lashon Chara. I've gossiped about my neighbor and I need to know how I can make it right. I, I, w- I want to repent and make it right. And the rabbi said, absolutely. Go get a pillow. He said, what? Go get a pillow and bring it back. So the guy goes and gets a pillow and he's like, okay, here's my pillow. And he goes, good. Now I want you to cut it open at one end. <laughs> cut it open at one end. Just cut it open at one end. Okay, so he cuts open one end of the pillow. He says, now stand outside my house and shake it into the wind. Okay, he's thinking, okay, this guy's crazy. So he goes and shakes it into the wind. All the feathers go flying everywhere, all over the, the village. And the man says, Rabbi, how is this supposed to help me repent of my Lashon Chara? He said, we're not done. <laughs> Be patient, my son. He says, come back in the morning. <laughs> okay, now I don't have a pillow to sleep on. Got to go back to the rabbi's house. Goes back to the rabbi's house. Rabbi says, here's the pillowcase. You want to know how to repair Lashon Chara, how to repent? Go gather up all the feathers and put them back in your pillow. And the man says, but that's impossible. They're f- too far and too wide and too spread out. And he said, so is the damage of Lashon Chara. When you say something against somebody, the damage travels and it's something that you can never, never gather back in and bring in and contain again. It's, it's impossible. It's too big. And so, of course, the man was convicted. But you see how the Jews tell this story and the picture is, oh my gosh, that's what happens when I speak bad about people. It's like shaking my pillow out and all the, wi- all the uh, feathers go out into the wind. I can never repair that. I can't get them all back. Okay, cool. Um, so I started off the last uh, teaching with God's olive tree, remember? That's Israel, Psalm 52, Jeremiah uh, 11. And then Paul picks up on that metaphor. I showed you that picture of the the tree over here, that metaphor of the olive tree. And he warns the Gentiles, you remember, that it is not they who support the root, but the root supports them. So that's a warning to those Gentiles. It means that you and I are fed and nourished with the life-giving sap that is Jewish. It comes from our Hebrew roots. But you know what, guys? We have been essentially cut off from those roots for hundreds of years. And as a result of being separated from our Jewish roots, we've missed a good amount of what the Bible says. We've not been privy to uh, quite a bit of the depth that God has gone to to the trouble to describe himself to us. I am not saying we need to become Jewish at all. Please don't hear me say that. I do not want to be Jewish. God made me Gentile. He made you Gentile. I bless God for that. I don't want to be Jewish. I want to be a Gentile. Thank you, God. So please don't hear me say, the Hebrew Roots class is all about us becoming more Jewish. No, it's not. It's about us simply putting on a pair of glasses. That's all it is. Okay, Um, I do want 
to be part of Israel, and I do want to share in the commonwealth of Israel, be the citizen of Israel, be grafted into that olive tree of Israel. I want that, but that doesn't mean I have to become Jewish. In fact, much of the New Testament is about not becoming Jewish and still having Jesus and salvation, okay? So, um, some facts to start off. This class is called Judaism 101 because we have to kind of know what Judaism is before we can approach this book that is completely written to Jews, by Jews, for Jews, in a Jewish language, about a Jewish Messiah in a Jewish place, Jewish culture. That's a bunch of Jewish stuff. And so if we come to the Bible and we don't have an appreciation of Jewish stuff, we're going to miss it. So this class is just kind of give you a couple of facts on, Jew- on Judaism and, and what that religion is all about. Being Jewish means you're part of a tribe. It's not an ethnic thing. There are black Jews, Asian Jews, white Jews, Nordic Jews, uh, South American Jews, every skin tone, every facial bone structure you can imagine. And these folks are Jewish. There is a group of Ethiopian Jews that trace their lineage. Um, all the, you remember the story in the Bible? I think it's Philip that goes and runs up next to this chariot. And there's this Ethiopian eunuch reading Isaiah 53. If he's from Ethiopia, does he look like me? But he's a Jew. He's a Jew that goes up to Jerusalem to worship because he's Jewish. I love that. It's universal. So being Jewish does not mean you're an ethnic looking person. It means you're part of a tribe. And that tribe started with a couple named Abraham, Avraham, and Sarah, Sarah, about 4,000 years ago. Judaism is the beliefs and practices and ethics which are all based on a really special book. What's that book called? Torah. It's the written word of God given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Torah refers to the five books of Moses. What are those five books of Moses? Name them for me. Good. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, did you bring your Bibles? You are going to need your Bible every single day for this class. Uh, starting today, starting after today, I'll just send you for a tardy for each time you forget your Bible. And then you'll eventually just start to remember it. It's okay. I'll give you grace today. Um, okay. Our New Testaments translate the word Torah into which word in English? Let me say that again. Our New Testaments translate the word Torah into which word in English? No. Law. That's the word that our New Testaments use. Torah equals law. And guys, there is that connotation to the word Torah. It does mean law. But that's about as comprehensive as one of you saying, hey, Mr. Dean, so what does it mean to be a parent? Describe parenting to me. And I say, huh, punishing your kids. There you go. Terrible. That's not what parenting, it's part of it, but that's not all it is. There's a whole lot more to it than that, right? So there's a whole lot more to Torah than law. Torah is God's teachings. The word actually means teaching or instruction. 
And you can see why Christians hear the Torah and they think the law. And what does the law do? It tells you no. You can't do that. Stop it. Start treating people a different... That's what the law does. The law doesn't say, hey, good job. Way to go. I'm so glad you drove 34 down this 35 maximum speed limit area. Good job on driving 34. That is not what the law does, does it? No. All right. God's Torah, by the way, is not only valid for teaching humans how to live life on planet Earth, it's also going to be valid for teaching humans how to live life in the Olam Haba. Say Olam Haba. Olam haba. <laughs> Sounds like you're just saying made up words. That means the age to come. Jesus said, my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth, oh, they're going to pass away. My words will never pass away. How long is never? When does it never end? Never. You just keep saying never, Cohen. That's right. It's kind of for all time. So the Torah is going to be a pretty important book. When Judea fell to the Babylonians and the people were taken into exile, the two tribes that were left in Israel became known as the Yehudim. That was one uh, tribe. And the other tribe was Binyamin. Binyamin, son of my right hand, Benjamin. And Benjamin kind of assimilated into Judah and they just became the Yehudim. And, and they became known as the Yehudim, the Jews from the tribe of Judah, the Judahites, we, we might say. Um, so that's kind of where we get that. It's a little bit of a recap from the other day. The two most important realities in Judaism, God and the Torah. Very good, read. God and the Torah. All right, before you begin your study, if you're Jewish, you stand and you say the Shema together. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to stand right now. And this is our commitment. This is our mm, pledge of allegiance, if you will, to God. So you can say it like this. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, I'm really tired, Adonai Ahad. You can do that. That's fine. But just remember, you're talking to the king of the universe right now who has hushed the heavenly host because he says our prayers go up and he hushes the heavenly host. So God right now just went, he thundered, heaven, shut it, because he's going to hear you. And here you are. So I'm, I'm just inviting you. Do you want to say it with some gusto? I hope so. I kind of want to blow God's hair back right now, all right? Plus, I think he thinks how adorable. <laughs> Speaking Hebrew over there, little gringos. All right, here we go. Say these words after me. Shema Israel. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta. Et Adonai Eloecha. Ve'chol levavecha. Uve'chol nefshecha. Uve'chol meodecha. Ve'ahavta. L'reacha. Kamocha. Amen. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God. All your heart. With all your soul. With all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. 
Amen. Amen. These are the very words of God. These are the very words of God. Thank you. You can be seated for my words. All right. Uh, JT, I just remember JT asked last week, and this is what I do. He's like, Mr. you're going to talk about that tree, right? The fig tree. I said, yes, we're going to talk about the fig tree right now. And I just went off. Never mentioned anything about the fig tree, did I? Never explained the fig tree. I just realized that. I'm sorry. I'm going to explain the fig tree. You're going to get the fig tree. Uh, real quick, I want to explain the pinky. Why do I do this? It's not because I'm a teetotaler or I, I think, when in doubt, pinky out. Not at all. The pinky comes from Egypt. It comes from the Exodus. Remember, Moses, Aaron, stand before Pharaoh. Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, let me think about that for a minute. No. So Moses says, okay, Aaron, go for it. And Aaron takes his staff and he smacks it on top of the water, the, the, the Nile, and the entire Nile becomes blood. Now, did it turn into actual platelets and red blood cells? I don't think so. I think that's a picture for it turned red. It was undrinkable. And Pharaoh goes like this, whoa. And then he goes to his magicians and he goes, and the magicians go, abracadabra, hocus pocus, boop. And they turn water red in their buckets. And Pharaoh goes, got anything better than that, Moses? And Moses says, all right, Aaron, staff, ground. Now he throws down his staff and what does it become? Nope, that's Western. It became a snake because that's what our Bibles say. But we don't go to the Hebrew and look up those words because we don't know how to speak Hebrew. It's a different word in Hebrew from the other snakes. It's interesting. I think it became a reptile. But think about this. If it became a six foot long snake and the magicians threw down their staffs and they became six foot long snakes and then Aaron's staff ate up their snakes, how is that physically possible without the snake blowing up? Maybe you're just going to eat three snakes? Could be, but it doesn't, you know, it turned into a 40 foot, you know, 200 pound, maybe. And I'm not saying it didn't, but I've got a different theory. We'll talk about that when we get in, when we start walking through Exodus. It's really cool. Um, so then Pharaoh goes, whatever. Okay, your snake was hungry. That's fine. What else you got? Moses says, all right, Aaron, go for it. Aaron goes, boom, on the ground. And the entire surface of the country of Egypt goes, turns into gnats. And Pharaoh looks at his magicians and they're like, we don't know what to, you know, they need to turn into babbling idiots. And they're like, we don't know what to do. That's crazy. Blew my mind. And you know what they say? Surely this is the finger of God. Surely this is the finger of God. What does that mean? It means... And they, notice they didn't say our gods, but this is the finger of his God. Like we can't duplicate that. That's beyond our powers, beyond the demonic powers that we're using. And then Jesus picks up on that. It's cool in the New Testament. And he says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. And everybody's like, whoa, he said finger of God. It's right back to the Exodus. So that's why I raise a pinky is to remind myself, man, God has more power in his pinky to bring the kingdom of heaven. And it just reminds me, this is the God I serve. God says, let me just give you my pinky. And he just blows our world wide open. Imagine if God put his shoulder into it or put his back into it. Holy moly, right? So that's, that's why the pinky. So it's a picture. It's another picture because everything's a picture. All right. Um, some of you are in this class for this. Yeah? Some of you might even be in this class for this. I just wrote A and B on the board, which kind of look like grades, right? Um, 
I look at that, you know what I see? That's a type of blood. Wow. That means if you're in this class, or we could even say in this class called Christianity, and you're out for blood, what does that make you? Dallas Willard calls you a vampire Christian. You only want Jesus for his blood. I'm not going to change my life. I'm not going to stop doing this as a high school student. I'm going to do this and think that and go there and be a part of that. And it's my life. And I do want to go to heaven. So I do need Jesus' blood. But that's all. He would say you are a vampire Christian. If you're in this class for this or this, don't be in here for a grade. A degree. As the rabbi said, degrees are on rectal thermometers. You know what we do with those. Don't be in here for a degree or a grade. I think you're in here because God wants coal to become the man of God that he's calling you to be. And so is Cohen, JT, Logan, all of you. Be the men and women that God is calling you to be. And this class will help you get there. I pray. Okay. Two ways of thinking. You guys tell me. What are the two ways that the world thinks? Two different ways. Western, Western and Eastern. Can you tell me the difference between the two? Okay, Western's abstract, Eastern's picture related. Very good. Easterners tend to think in story or picture. It's very concrete, right? Uh, Westerners think abstractly. Uh, why does this shape that doesn't look anything like a human heart? But why does that mean love? How come this doesn't mean love? It's just as abstract as this, right? It's just a bunch of squiggly lines. That's the point of abstract is that doesn't mean love. It represents something that we've associated to mean. Okay, that's love. That's important because you guys need to remember you're Western and so am I when we approach a text that is completely Eastern. Now, if I uh, put on a parka and get my ski poles and my ski pants and my snowshoes ready and uh, I... I, I get out of my room and I meet my companions and we walk out the door onto the beach with the palm trees. It's 98 degrees out there. How well am I going to do in that environment? Probably not very well. I'm going to need to change my attire in order to do better in that environment. So what I'm saying is when we put on all that snow gear and we come to the Bible and it's the Sahara desert, we need to change our gear. And that's what I'm saying. Okay. Um, now, I had this experience for nine years in South America. Expressions in Chile are always in pictures. And it's really cool. I didn't realize this. But you don't say this is so boring or this class is so lame in Chile. No. In Chile, you'd say, Esto es más fome que choque de tortugas, compadre. This is more boring than watching two turtles crash. Can you imagine how boring that would be? Any, any second now. Look <laughs> how boring. Isn't that great? I love that. That's, a, that's one of the funniest expressions in Chile. Or, esto es más fome que bailar con la hermana. This is more lame than dancing with my sister. That's pretty lame. Hey, baby, how's it going? It's my sister. You know? Or, el gallo está más perdido que el teniente bello. That guy's more lost than Lieutenant Bello. Now, if you're not Chilean, you don't know who he is, but Lieutenant Bello was an airman 
in like the 19, early 1900s and he was qualifying to get his uh, badge to be able to fight in the Chilean military in that Air Corps. He took off, was supposed to do a 300 mile round trip and land safely. The guy took off and never came back. <laughs> he just, boop, he disappeared and no one ever saw him again. So the expression became, you're more lost than Lieutenant Bayo. How lost is that guy? Pretty lost. You're even more lost. So it's funny because they're all pictures, okay? I love that. Um, remember, God is my rock. God is my shield. He's my water. Now, can the devil say that? God is my rock? No, the devil can say God is a rock, but not my rock. So remember, um, remember these pictures are, are meant to be taken by you. The Israelites didn't cross the Red Sea. You did. David didn't fight Goliath. You did. That's why there's stories. Every movie you watch, you automatically project yourself into the movie. And you get, as we say, we get into the movie. And somebody comes up and goes, hey, you want any popcorn? Ah! You just scared me. I'm sorry. I just want to know if you want to. I was so into my movie. Do you know what that means? I was identifying so clearly with all the characters. It was as if I was in the movie. That's what story does. That's why we love movies. The Bible is the coolest story ever told. It really is. Okay. I want to tell you guys, names in the Bible are way more than something we call someone. Hello, Logan. Oh, hello, Mr. Dean. That's her name. Now, I told Cohen the first day that I met him, I told, do you know what your name means in Hebrew? No, it means priest. What a cool name. Now, if your parents knew that, what they did is they named you priest in order for you to become one. You don't name a baby, you know, rock because he's a rock right now. No, he's a squishy little baby. You name him Rock or Rocky so that he will grow up to be strong and tough and absolutely solid like a rock. Uh, So names are always first a picture and second a title in the Bible. Let me say that again. Names are always a picture first and second a title. Every single name you can look up is first a picture. And then it's somebody's name. Think about Avram. Av means father. Am are people. He's the father of people. Great. But when you put Avraham, Avraham, now he's the father of many people. So God changed his name because he was become the father of many nations. Sari, my little princess. Sarah. The princess with the capital T, right? So I want to, uh, numbers, by the way, are the same way. In the Bible, numbers are always a picture first, a symbol for something else. And then they're placeholders. So if there's a story and there's an odd number in there, like, and the disciples went fishing and they pulled in 153 fish. The first thing you need to do as a guy with, or a girl with Jewish Hebrew glasses on and say, why do I need to know there was 153? That's weird. I wonder if that means something. I wonder if that's a picture. 
Oh, and you guys are going to be blown away. Jesus starts Peter's calling and says, you're a fisherman? Yes, sir. Well, from now on, you're going to be what? You're going to be fishing for men. You're going to be catching men. The number 153 is the gematria, which is the number system that they assign to letters. Each letter is assigned a number in Hebrew. So Aleph is one, Bet is two, Dalit, three, Gimel, four, and so on and so forth. So if you add up 153, it adds up to the statement, um, sons of God, I think it is, B'nai Elohim, sons of God totals 153. In other words, the disciples' last catch was 153. They actually caught men. Peter caught men. James caught men. They started, in, in other words, winning souls over to Messiah. Uh, really cool stuff. There's a story, you may have never heard of it before. It's, it's a, not a very popular story called David and Goliath. Okay, good. You've heard of this before then. How old do you think David was? Okay. You can put him anywhere from eight years old to probably 13 or 14 because he was shepherding, meaning he was taking care of some cattle and that's always for premenstrual girls. Number one are the main shepherds in Israel and prepubescent boys as well. We always think of these men out there shepherding. When it says Jacob and his brothers were out pasturing their sheep, do you know what the men were actually doing? Sitting in a tent, probably with a nice cold one, watching a ball game, snapping their fingers to the young kids saying, go out and check on the sheep. They were in charge of the sheep. It was their bank account, but they weren't the ones out there doing all the work. That's for the kids to do. So David's out checking on the sheep because daddy, Jesse, sent him out there. So David could be eight or nine. Now, what does David's name mean? Because remember I said, do not think of his name as David. Oh, that's a cool name. My middle name's David, Mark David Dean. All right, what's David mean though in Hebrew? Because remember, it's first a picture. Huh? Great guess. It means my beloved. Who does David fight? Goliath. Goliath. And the Bible goes to great lengths to tell us as if we care. Oh, and by the way, Goliath is from this town, Gath. Who cares? We know he's a Philistine, so he's the enemy of God. So his name is Goliath in Hebrew, and he is from Gath. You say, whoop-de-doo. Do you know what Goliath means in Hebrew? Go look it up. Goliath is something that is discarded or thrown out. Something that was cast out. And what's a gat? You say gat. It's a press. As in oils press, olive press, wine press. This guy's name is something that was thrown out of the press. What's thrown out of a press? Excess? The trash that's been what? Do you know how a press works? There's this big stone at the bottom and you 
put all your olives or grapes in there and then you take this massive wheel that is made out of stone with a handle in it and it goes around in a circle and what does it do to all those olives? It crushes them. There's also other types of presses, but crushes them. So before I even read the story of David, David and Goliath, I already know the story. I got it just from the names. I got it. Well, let me tell you the story. Oh, I don't need to. David wins, right? Well, yeah. Let me tell you how he wins. Does Goliath get crushed? What do you mean? I mean, does Goliath, part of him, any part of him get crushed? Yeah. His head. Does he get crushed with a rock? Yeah. You've heard the story. No, I haven't. How do you know this? Because he's Goliath from God. He gets crushed by a big rock, right? Yeah. In fact, David picks up five rocks. Why didn't David pick up arrows? Much more accurate. Why didn't David pick up a spear? He could have. He picks up rocks. Why? Because he's from gut. And that's how you crush something in a gut. Isn't that cool? And sure enough, David picks up five. Did he think, man, I might miss three times, four times. Why does he pick up five rocks? Remember, if five is not a number, it's a picture, it's a symbol, and so is a rock. A rock might be something, but what is it standing for? His name means my beloved. But who is a rock? Who is the rock? God is the rock. It's one of his metaphors. He likes to say, I am the rock. Why five? Yes, JT, it's exactly right. How many books in the Torah? There's five books in the... So what does David pick up in picture? Or... God and his Torah, right? This is the base. This is how you live life. David picks up God, which you got a tongue in cheek there. Could David pick up God? No. But David says, God, go with me and we will defeat this beast, this enemy of you. That's what you're meant to know from David and Goliath is David took God with him. And said, I don't care if he's 50 feet tall and 300 pounds. Because you know who's on my side? I got God on my side. And his rocks might have been that big. I have actual five stones, four of them, from the Elah Valley riverbed. Which is exactly where David would have picked up his stones. And I've got them in a box over there on my shelf. You can check them out. They're about the size of a racquetball. Can you imagine somebody whipping a sling and boom at about 120 miles an hour? Oh, it would crush your skull. Oh, he was super, super accurate with it. But what's interesting is Goliath, this behemoth, right? He gets hit in the head with the equivalent of a 50 caliber. Which way does he fall? He falls forward, even though boom, it should be knocking him on his rear end. Maybe so, but I also think that's a picture. Because remember, we're looking at the Bible as a story or a picture. Why? If David is God's beloved and David and God walk out there together, except David's like this, and Goliath is the big guy that can't lose, and he goes, bing! And Goliath falls. Boom! Is he bowing? I think he is. I'll make you kneel before me, God says, with an eight-year-old. Isn't that cool? I love that story. Goliath kneels 
and bows before God, face down. And then God says, go cut his head off with his own sword. Okay. And he picks up this gigantic head that weighs 15 pounds or more and says, thanks, God. Great story. 